Welcome, folks, to the Green Root Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, and this week we're going to talk a little bit about what the election means in terms of the eco-crisis, and we have a special guest for this week who I'm going to be interviewing. He is me. I am going to be interviewing myself, and I'm going to be talking about this issue. So, election is Tuesday. The president means a lot. It doesn't mean everything, but of course, it's significant enough where this matters. I hate to say this, but no matter who wins, nature loses. This is a hard pill to swallow for some folks. I will suspect that a lot of the listeners of the Green Root Podcast understand what I'm saying. But we do all know that Republicans are the worst. Trump needs to go on the natural world. They just don't have that in their wheelhouse in terms of things that they care about. So they're typically pro-corporate. They are typically want the government to have no restrictions on things like protecting public lands. They want to sell off public lands to private ownership. They're in the court of industry almost all of the time. They haven't evolved to the point where they see nature as part of themselves. So they very rarely, if ever, do the right thing on the natural world. Democrats are often better. I'm not going to pretend that they're not on a lot of policies, but here's the thing. They're not good enough. We're losing the war on nature or winning, depending on how you view it. If it's humans versus nature, we are kicking ass, (laughs) at least for the short term, and then it will kick our ass. But you know what I mean. Ecocide might be slowed by the Democrats, but I have to say not even that much, and it sure as hell won't be reversed. That's why it's not enough. It's not enough to just get the Republicans out and, oh, we got the Democrats, we won. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. At least when we have Republicans in power, environmentalists or your average individual will fight back against them no matter what. So that's almost a positive thing because even the slightest proposals that they're making, it's going to get a unified front of opposition, which is why a lot of their proposals don't really pass. The problem is the exact same policies from Democrats, and I'm talking literally the exact same policies from Democrats, they will get a pass. So folks will be like, well, we're just going to ignore it or let it go. Or guess what? It actually will get support. The very same policies that are destructive to the natural world, if they come from Republicans, will be fought by Democrats. And then when Democrats propose them, most people, or a lot of people at least, will say, yay, good for nature, good for us. So that is my worry about Democrats getting into power. I've been doing environmentalism long enough to go back and forth between the two parties. And I find that, yeah, there's a difference, but not enough of a difference. And the whole burying the issues under the rug under Democrats, I find to be as much a problem, if not more so. If we don't know what we're fighting, if we're fighting in the dark, that's even worse. I'd rather have a bigger monster that I can see and acknowledge as a monster than a slightly smaller monster that I'm going to pretend is a fuzzy gerbil. So 
let's get into a couple examples if you don't believe me. So some of the terrible things Trump has proposed recently. So Trump proposed to open up the Tongass National Forest in Alaska to logging. This is the largest stand of contiguous temperate rainforest in the U.S. It's a, it's a tragedy. We can't be doing that. Many of us have been arguing for years that we shouldn't be logging or doing any form of extraction on public lands whatsoever, and I stand by that. I wish more environmental groups stood by it, but of course they don't get the funding if they actually solve a problem. But if they can fight these little things piecemeal forever and gradually lose, well, they keep getting more funding, especially when there's a Republican administration. Give us money to keep losing the battle. Republicans are in charge. So Trump proposed that. It's an awful thing. It needs to be annihilated. And Trump just removed endangered species protection for gray wolves. That is also a, a tragedy. The wolf is a really important part of the ecosystem. They are in no way recovered enough that they should be removed from the endangered species list. People are shooting them, as in hunters doing it illegally. States are even doing things like they, they take wolves, which is another word for killing them, or at least they have. And the idea that we should not protect the wolf anymore, it's basically frontiersman mentality. It's like you're living in 1600 and you're trying to eke a survival out of the wilderness with your four sheep. Sure, I get it back then. You might need to kill a wolf once in a while when the forests are full of them. Now there are hardly any wolves. The ranchers are often doing quite well. They are provided with compensation in the rare instances where wolves kill their animals. And guess what? Most of the time the animals are killed by weather and dogs. So it's actually a very small percentage. I think part of it is the frontiersman mentality is to be afraid of wolves. So we have these grown tough guys who are quaking in fear over some dogs who have literally not killed anyone in recorded history in North America, at least in the United States. So there were some situations in Canada where it was a hybrid wolf and coyote that did kill somebody because they have the size of the wolf and the daring of a coyote. So that did happen. It hasn't happened with wolves. And that is such a statistical anomaly that it you could basically say, I guarantee you that wolves are not going to kill you. So those are two terrible things that Trump administration has done. And people are right to be crowing about that. It's a, it's a terrible thing. But here's what I mentioned to the folks who were posting about this on social media and to which I got zero responses. Tongass National Forest in Alaska. Obama proposed to log it back in 2009. Obama wanted to log it. I don't remember the same pushback, but Trump did it. Yeah, Trump sucks on pretty much everything, but Obama sucked on this too and you didn't fight it. What's going on with that? And then you're saying, well, when the Democrats come in, they'll save it. Yeah, guess what? The vice president under that decision to log the Tongass will likely be our next president. And I'm going to go into a couple contingencies in this podcast talking about if Biden becomes president and then if Trump gets in again as well. So 
this whole, well, it's just the Republicans doing it. It just sets us up for more environmental destruction because the Democrats know this. They know that we're not going to fight them. Well, maybe not we, but a lot of the mainstream environmentalists are not going to fight them so they can get away with the same damn stuff. <clears throat> but surely only Trump would propose to remove wolves from the endangered species list. Oops. Obama proposed the same thing federally in 2013. Oops, same exact proposal. I don't remember these people caring about it then. Luckily, there was enough pushback to get it rescinded, as I suspect will happen in this case, too. This seems to be like a, a Hail Mary pass on the part of Trump, basically just trashing the hotel on his way out. Obama delisted the gray wolf in Minnesota, from federal endangered species protection in 2011. And so for three years until 2014, Minnesota was killing wolves and then a district court did overturn it. So Obama not only proposed that, he made it happen and only a court overruled him. Tell me how that's better than Republicans. Please, please tell me how killing wolves under a Democratic leadership is better for the wolves than killing them under Republicans. And for those of you who are still struggling with this whole, but Democrats are better. I acknowledge that they're better. But the thing is, we don't have time to play around with slightly less bad. Okay? Like I said before, we need to be able to reverse ecocide. Democrats, I don't even know if they'll slow it down. Maybe they'll slow it down in compared, comparison to Republicans, but not slow it down based on the momentum that it's gathering right now. It's basically just more of the same, letting it be. The problem is we, we've been focusing so much on Trump. Trump derangement syndrome is kind of a real thing. I've seen it in folks that I know. I've been around long enough through George Bush too when I was starting to be an environmentalist that I've seen that stuff before and I learned not to just obsess knee-jerk wise over who's the president, but to try to come up with long-term plans such as zero cut on public lands. But all of these democratic environmental groups would not support that. And so then they're like, but can you believe Trump is trying to log in National forests? Yeah, because you didn't want to protect national forests. So we need to stop obsessing over Trump. So, and we need to be focusing on a long-term strategy. So I'm actually talking about what we should have been doing over the last four years that no one was interested in. But let's just say that there was a psychological derangement that was triggered by Trump's presidency that made it so a lot of well-meaning enviros could only just just yell and scream all day and not do anything really productive. Although I will acknowledge that there, of course, have been some defensive measures that are necessary, defensive measures that do need to happen, but you can't just play defense all the time. If you're on a hockey team and all you do is stop goals, that's great. But if you don't score any goals, you're still going to lose. So the time for defense is over. No matter what, we need to look at a long-term strategy. Now, let's just start with the possibility that Trump gets reelected. I don't think it's likely, but who knows, right? First of all, let's remind ourselves that after, after you go insane, <laughs> that the president only has so much control. Most of what Trump has done is squawk about stuff, try to propose things that will never pass. So 
he tricks us over and over again, and we always take the bait. We can't handle it. We can't not take the bait. So that is something we need to stop doing. You know, I know, good luck, but that's the idea. We need to stop thinking, okay, well, in these four years, we're going to try to hold fast on this. Guess what? There are going to be environmental groups who are going to do that because that's literally all they know how to do. So that's probably going to be covered. There are going to be folks who are going to be fighting back against the delisting and things like that. The rest of us need to look into the future because let's just say that Trump is in for the next four years. Likely, there will be a different president in, well, according to the Constitution, another president in four years later, and likely there'll be a Democrat. So let's play the long game, right? And it doesn't mean we have infinite amount of time, but we do have four years to plan a better strategy than just constantly losing. So we need to look at ways to say, how do we head this off at the pass? If we don't want them reopening Tongas all the time, why are we not going on the offensive and proposing an end to public lands logging? If we don't want the delisting of gray wolves, why are we not looking at wildlife as part of this concept of the commons? Not that we own wolves, but that they are a part of the natural world and that the natural world deserves to have certain rights, even if it's passing over private land, right? So if you have a stream, it doesn't mean you get to decide everything that goes on with those fish that pass through your property. And personally, I don't think you should be able to own a stream. Maybe you can own the bank up to a stream, and that might even be the case legally. I don't know. You can't just poison, you can't just dump your sewage into a stream because that goes into other people's watersheds and it affects other critters. So we already kind of accept that. We got to start seeing things like wolves that range around from public to private lands, as they're called, as part of the commons, and we need to have protections for them. We need to have that holistic view changing over time, and what that legislation would look like, I don't know right now. But that is something we need to be doing, but it is something we're not doing because we're constantly playing this game. And Endangered Species Act is great, but it's not enough because it's super vulnerable and it's super arbitrary. I've covered stuff to do with the delisting of the Mexican wolf and it's the Mexican gray wolf and they're just games played over and over again. We're losing people, we're losing. And that's what's made me a black sheep in the environmental movement to dare to suggest that we are losing. Whereas all it takes is a sober look and you know that we're losing. So if you're losing in a football game, over and over, let's say you lose every single season <laughs> from the beginning of the formation of that football team. It might be time to get different coaches. It might be time to come up with different strategies. It may be time to rethink the whole thing. Probably need to get rid of the players. We need to start from scratch in many ways. Now, there are folks who are doing legitimate work in the environmental movement. Some of them are working for the mainstream groups, but their hands are tied. So they've taken that devil's deal and they're working for these groups that they know deep down are really doing more harm than good, good ultimately. But they don't have any other alternatives, so they just kind of go along to get along. But we do need to come up with a long-term plan, even if Trump becomes president. And I will get into a possibility of a plan in a moment. Now, let's, let's assume that Trump is ousted because 
all it took for the Democrats to win was a quarter million dead people. So that's that's all it took for for Democrats to let's just say not lose because the Democrats even if they quote win they they didn't really win. They just didn't lose. They were less terrible than somebody who presided over 250,000 deaths. <laughs> so no Democrats should not be patting themselves on the back. But let's just assume that Biden wins the presidency and then things shift over a little bit more in politically to the Democrats, which you know, we've seen this back and forth over and over again. I know those of you who are younger think this is happening for the first time. It's not. This happens over and over again. And folks who are older than I am know it happened even before that. So we got to stop pretending that this is some new frontier. It's not. That we see the back and forth forever. We're always told you can't, we can't choose better because you might get the really bad guy in. Well, guess what? Even with that mentality, the bad guy still goes in. Not working anymore. And frankly, if the Democrats lose in this election, they are they are over. They are done. And maybe that's for the best because it will be an opportunity for another party to come in to actually represent progressive values instead of the Democrats that pretend to. And, you know, I care about climate change. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad that you said that. That doesn't mean anything unless something is done about it. So that rant <laughs> concluded for the moment. Biden is president, right? Now is the time where we have no excuse not to do long-term planning. With Trump, we can always be like, no, but we have to fight everything here. It's like, yes, I know. It's your excuse for the fact that you irrationally hate this dipshit who I have never supported in any way. I disliked him so much I wouldn't talk about him during the primaries because I knew that would get him more attention. But you all couldn't handle it. You could, you, you, you fell for the bait and that's what happened. So... I get it. I get it that you're going to always be defensive when Trump is president. But if he's not president, that excuse goes away. So I don't want to hear any more of that. So then we have Biden in pres as president. He'll do plenty of crappy things that you'll probably let slide. Wh whatever. What's our long-term plan? Well, the long-term plan is we need to unite those of us who are not beholden to a political party because pretty much all these environmental groups, the large ones, the influential ones, have proven themselves just to be mouthpieces of the Democratic Party. The, I, I don't even feel like I need to keep repeating that point. If you don't accept that, then you should probably stop listening to this podcast because you are unreachable and you're not somebody that... I have any interest in talking to anymore. So I'm just going to take a few seconds to let those people stop listening. Okay, so those of you who are still listening, acknowledge, hopefully, or at least entertaining the notion, the possibility that most environmental groups are simply just lackeys of the Democratic Party. So we realize that they are not going to really be proposing useful things for us. I, I think we've had to accept that. But guess what? Not only won't they help move forward those proposals, they'll push against them. And that's not really that much of a surprise, but they will actively push against any proposals to, say, do a statewide ban on herbal herbicide spraying, aerial herbicide spraying in Oregon. Our recent podcast with Roy Keane, a forester, talks about how 
There is clear cutting in Oregon's, this is private lands by industrial timber lands by big timber and they clear cut and then they spray toxic herbicides from helicopters that drifts onto people's property into the water supply. It's a, it's a mess. It, it gets into people's urine. It destroys fisheries. It's a bad idea. Lincoln County is one county there. They banned the aerial spraying. They just outright banned it. And folks were saying, let's take it statewide. Timber industry didn't like that. So they organized meetings, lots of funded meetings, and they brought in environmental groups to come up with a compromise instead of an actual ban. So that's a perfect example of how mainstream environmental groups who do many good things and have many good people, I know some of those folks, will not be interested in the thing that will actually potentially change it for good. It's it's might be that they're afraid of losing, but I actually think it's they're afraid of winning. The responsibility of ending aerial herbicide spraying means totally trashing the timber industry in the state, and they're a very powerful force. And you trace the funding of a lot of these environmental groups to corporate foundations, some of that money does come from timber industry, particularly for a lot of these collaborations So, and, and just other corporate entities that have no interest in a major aspect of the economy being limited in any way. So we've seen that they'll fight against these measures or at least step back from them and then do other things to undermine it. But guess what? They'll actually prevent us from even being able to speak about these ideas to even air the notions publicly. They will arrange censorship campaigns. And how do we know this? Because that's what happened around Planet of the Humans, the film by Jeff Gibbs and Ozzy Zenner, executively produced by Michael Moore. I've spoken about that film many times on the podcast, not just because I'm in it. Of course, that, that helps. And not just because of the information in it, talking about how environmental groups are selling us out, which obviously is super important. But I have to say, that's information that I've, I've had for a long time. It was the response by the mainstream environmental movement to that film, which then got followed up by aspects of the mainstream media and leftist media that are beholden to the Democratic Party and these mainstream environmental groups. So... The media first started coming out very positively for the film. There were great reviews in The Guardian and things like that. Then all of a sudden you started seeing these mainstream environmentalists saying, this is pro-fossil fuels, even though the entire premise of the film is climate change was brought on by fossil fuels and we need to change our energy consumption. Simply that solar and wind alone are not going to save us. And then also bringing up some points about the limitations of solar and wind in terms of the actual ecological impacts and the mining and human rights issues required with that as it's happening in developing nations and things like that. So I personally do support plenty of solar and a fair amount of wind, but I don't support the delusion that that alone is going to solve anything without reducing our energy consumption. If anything, it's just going to add on more energy consumption while we continue to, to utilize fossil fuels which will run out at some point. We don't know when, but there is a lot of evidence that we have peaked. And I had somebody, Mark Rabinowitz, on the podcast not too long ago to talk about fracking being the way that we are eking out a bit more fossil fuels because we were running low. That seems plausible to me. So these environmental groups, 
spoke out against the film saying it was pro-fossil fuels. There is a mention of population in the film, which consumption is obviously a part of the issue. We need to stop corporate domination, but we also have to deal with consumption. We have to deal with the number of consumers. So folks who are in the developed world obviously are consuming more. So it's less about numbers there, but numbers still play into it. If you live in a country where you're a 20th of the resource depletion, but you have 20 times more people, that's parity. So we have to at least talk about population as part of it. I don't think it's the root. I think it might be a root let, but it's, it's part of it. And yet a literal, I think, one minute mention in the 100 minute film got people calling Michael Moore and Jeff Gibbs eco-fascists, calling them eugenicists, racist, white supremacists. This was, these were opinion pieces published in major news media and the major news media would not let Michael Moore, okay, probably one of the most prominent leftists in history, respond to those, frankly, libelous charges. I don't know why he hasn't uh, sued. I would have sued. But so if Michael Moore isn't allowed to respond in these mainstream media sources, you think somebody like me or you is going to be allowed to? No. So the environmental movement, the mainstream environmental movement, which is just an arm of the Democratic Party, has said that we're not going to do the right thing. We're not going to help you do the right thing. We're going to fight you doing the right thing. And we're not even going to let you talk about doing the right thing. And that's where we're at right now in 2020, people. So what we need to do is we need to just not spend all our time attacking these groups. I've done a fair share of that. I do think we need to call attention to that. I've probably done too much of that over the years. I'm not as interested in focusing on that anymore. I do want to say, look what's happening so we can do this instead. So we need to not just undermine them and attack them because you, you take them down and then what will fill the vacuum? We need to build something up in the meantime, right? So if we're switching trains, we need to have this other train run right alongside and then we can jump onto that, not just derail that first train and then we have one of those old timey push carts that you see in the cartoons and it's like, I don't think that's gonna do it. Although that's not the worst mode of transportation. So if anyone has any of those push carts for the railway, I would be interested in purchasing one. So what, what do we do? We need to establish a united front that replaces these big green groups. <clears throat> Now that is quite a daunting task. I have been a part of environmental groups that have tried to do different things over the years. And let me just tell you, it is very hard to get funding because you have to go through these corporate foundations and they literally don't want to fund what you're doing. <laughs> it's just, sorry, that's how it is. Once in a while you can eke out a grant here and there. I went to grad school for grant making. It's, I, I was successful at writing grants as soon as I started shifting over to something like <clears throat> pushing back against biomass energy, which I started doing in around 2006, all that grant funding dried up. Did it mean that all of, all of a sudden my ability to write a grant disappeared? No, it was because I was working on something that they didn't support. And maybe right now you can find some money for it after it's less necessary. But during the most important time, they were supporting all that stuff and certainly not giving us money to fight it. 
you can go to individuals, but let me tell you, that's a really hard sell as well. You got to find, basically, you have to make money for your organization so you can pay somebody who can bring in money. So you divert a lot of your funding to just maintaining it rather than doing the work. So that's why we tend to have these two disparate entities. We have these environmental groups that are very good businesses at making money and don't accomplish anything. And then we have these very strong ragtag grassroots groups who have strong stances and once in a while really hit a home run, but they have no funding and they have no real organizational structure for the long term. And they're very disparate, like that little thing that happened in Lincoln, in Lincoln, Oregon, Lincoln County, Oregon. But what if there was another alternative? What if there was a way to harness the energies of those who are already doing great work, maybe individually, we have these lone wolf activists in a small organization or even a mid-sized one that hasn't been corrupted because there are some of those out there. What if we can harness the energies of them to unite us in a sort of alliance? Now, I was talking to my friend. He is a veteran activist in Eugene, Oregon. His name is Shannon Wilson. I had him as my first guest on the podcast because he has been a longtime mentor of mine. And he's one of the folks who has been in it from the long haul, from the early days of Earth First, fighting against environmental destruction of the forests of Cascadia and pushing back against the environmental groups that want to sell it out. So we've been talking about what there is to do instead. And I had this idea that instead of starting up a new thing, we just find a way to, like I said, harness the existing energies as a way to unite us in a common front that can be a national force instead of just, oh, in my town or in my county or in my state or by region, a national, maybe even eventually international, but let's just start national first, a force that can stand up or at least be a voice that can be heard in response to an environmental group. So when a journalist is like, well, I need a quote, well, I'll go to the Sierra Club and get their garbage. Well, they know, oh, well, there's this new national group and they do have a, a person who lives in each state and that's part of this plan. Maybe I'll talk to them instead. So the, the idea is, let me just tell you where I came up with the idea from. And this is not like I came up with this concept, but but this is not being done currently. So I think it's worth discussing and I'd be interested in what people think. So I'm a part of a writer's collective. And what we do is we have folks who are obviously individual writers writing their own stuff. And a lot of them have little brands and they have their own little websites. And so instead of saying, hey, come over to our thing particularly, saying, join our writer's entity. You get to do everything you've been doing. In fact, we'll help you do that. But you are now a part of our thing. So we'll come up with some common goals and we're going to raise all boats. So because we have these many people, so right now in this writers group, we have 40 plus dues paying members. So we have 40 people who every time they get something out and they're talking about our writers collective, the other 39 people in the group also benefit from it. And what's different is 
not just saying, come in, you, you have nothing on your own, you join our ideas, right? Not everyone likes that. There are some people who don't have a website and things like that, and they're happy to be a part of this writer's collective and kind of th their own identity isn't as important, and that's fine too, but we, we give the opportunity to folks who have been working on, say, bears in New Jersey, or they're working on salmon issues and, and water issues in Montana, or forest issues in the Pacific Northwest, wolves, basically the uniting force is anything that is about the natural world, and more specifically this concept of the commons. So basically land, air, water, wildlife, that's all the commons, right? There is this concept of private property, which is frankly kind of specious in, in my mind, but sure, you get to have your place where your house is and people can't walk on it. Like, I get it. But having large landscapes that is under private ownership, I, I don't know about that. And certainly the public lands should not be annihilated by industry. Those need to be preserved. So this concept of the commons can bring folks who are working on forests together. Also, people who are working on wildlife, people who are working on really any issue, grazing, mining, fossil fuel stuff, climate issues, anything that ties into the commons. The biggest commons is our climate, right? That's a global commons. So thinking of things in that way, I think can be a real way to unite everyone. There was something called the National Forest Protection Alliance, which attempted to do this with folks who are working on protecting national forests. That is also a model for this, but this is gonna be bigger. I think we need to go beyond just forests, even though that's my favorite issue and I think is going to be central to this, protecting the land base from which everything comes, soil, air, and water, climate, you name it, that's really forests. So I do think that's central, but it's not gonna be the only issue. This common cause alliance, which we could call it or whatever folks want to call it, we're finding these individuals who are just these lone wolves working in these different states who don't really have any access to funding or PR and things like that. And we bring us all together on a national platform while at the same time being able to work on our individual thing. So the details of this can be worked out. I don't I have no interest in working out all the details in advance because I think the success of things like this is saying, here is a general concept. We want you to keep doing exactly what you're doing. We're going to have some unifying statement though, and there is going to be some obligation in terms of the national entity. But imagine that you're working on say, let's say I'm here in Colorado and I care about cougars, right? And I'm working on cougar stuff. I can be like, hi media, hi people. I'm a guy and I work on cougars and I care about them. They're like, who are you? Who cares? Well, I have an organization. It's like, what's your organization of, of one person? I've never heard of it. I don't care. Oh, I'm a part of the Common Cause Alliance. We have people in all 50 states and here is our national leadership and here are our platforms. So I am talking to you about cougars here and I want protection for cougars. And our larger plan is to protect the commons in general. So we can't look at the cougar issue just as separate. I also care about salmon. I'm not personally directly working on the salmon piece because I know the cougar piece. That is so much more powerful than I think anything that's been happening thus far. And I think that's something that we need to consider. So if you're listening to this, no matter who becomes President Trump, Biden, uh, a space alien, I, I don't care. Whoever is president, let's remember that that is only so much. And really, this is up to us to do this. No president is going to do this for us. 
So I want you to contact me at greenrootpodcast at protonmail.com. That's greenrootpodcast, greenrootpodcast at proton, protonmail.com. And I want you to tell me what state you're living in and what issue you're working on and if you have an organization name. And I'm going to start making a list of activists in all 50 states. So we basically just want one in each 50 state. Obviously, we can have more than one, but that's the goal. And some states are going to be harder than others. So if you're in Alabama, give me a call. And then we can start having these conversations. And I don't know if I'm actually going to be a major part of this. I think right now I'm focusing on the podcast. I might be expanding into something called Green Root Media, where I go back to my investigative journalism, my long-form writing and all that. So I don't know if I'm really going to be super involved with the other thing, but I certainly, as a journalist, I want to be able to have a source that competes with the national groups that I know actually cares about these issues and wants to advocate for reasonable policy. Because I've had to work on issues and I have to get the big green groups to respond when I know very well that they are really half-assed on a lot of the issues, but there's no other option. So just coming from that, that place as a journalist, I know that there needs to be something to just more accurately represent the landscape and in some ways literally, right? Literally representing the landscape. So this might be a way to do it. I'm not going to be in charge or in control of it. I want to be a beacon right now for getting folks to talk about this. I've been sort of deliberately doing this since I started the podcast in spring or early summer, whenever I started it, to get all of these folks in one place to at least have all the ideas circulating in one, one location and then have these people talking to each other a little better. The issue is that so many of us who do this independent stuff, the thing that makes us fierce individualists where we don't kowtow to the groupthink of the mainstream environmental movement is you know, our individualism. That is also our strength and it's our weakness because we have difficulty uniting with other folks. We have difficulty maybe even making reasonable compromises, not on policy, but just on preferences. So principle versus preferences are, are two ways I look at it. Oh, you want to do something that would actually over the long term harm our forests? No. No, a thousand times no. Principle. Preference. Oh, you want to do an online campaign instead of a media campaign? You want to go through social media instead of media? I'm walking out. No, that's preference. That's not principle. And we tend to mistake the two. So there, there are plenty of obstacles and plenty of obstacles with us ornery bastards who are likely going to be a part of this. But I think if we realize this is our last chance and if we realize that doing anything else is admitting that we're losing. So I'm going to get to the point where I'm probably going to have as little patience for independent folks who are just pretending that they're you know, holding up the, the vanguard of not selling out while not uniting with anyone. I'm going to put them in the same boat as those who are in the big Democratic, the De Democratic Party enviro groups. It's still losing. Maybe it's not as bad a losing. Maybe it's a more principled losing, but it's still losing. We can't just operate on our own in our little corners. It's just, we've been doing that. How is it working? That's all I'm going to ask. How is that working? And I think anyone who is listening to this knows it's not working well. Here is a way that you don't have to 
sacrifice your individuality, but we do need to come together. We need to create a united front if we're going to push back against which are our number one enemies, which I hate to say this, it's not individually, but as concepts, it's the mainstream environmental movement. They are sucking all the oxygen out of the room. They are putting out there the pretense of them being the protectors and they're not. But we can't just crab about them all the time because they are doing some legitimate stuff. So let them continue to do their whatever they do with the defense and like let's you know pat them on the back when it's worthwhile and then otherwise let's do our thing make sure they don't try to co-opt us if they legitimately want to be a part of what we're doing which they won't (laughs) they won't really they might pretend to if they're saying no we're going to adopt the uh, zero extraction on public lands well well then and guess what here's the thing if we have enough clout over the long term, which this is what people want. This is what people actually want if they knew what was going on. Once we get enough clout, the mainstream environmental groups will start adopting this. And either we fade away because they start actually doing real legitimate work and we just remain as watchdogs, or we outcompete them and they disappear. Either way, the status quo cannot hold. This is not acceptable. We're blaming environmental groups, the large environmental groups, which I think we should to a large degree, but we have to start realizing the responsibility in ourselves. It's not just enough to complain about them. We have to do something instead. And I'm not saying this is the best idea in the world, but unless you have a better idea, I would like you to be a part of this. So email me, greenrootpodcast at protonmail.com. We're going to put together a list of all 50 states and probably sometime in the new year, we're going to arrange a call. I might be arranging the call. I'm not going to be calling the shots though. So if you have a desire to be involved with this, you've got a decent track record, you have integrity, you have communication skills, maybe you're one of the people who are going to make this happen. So we all need to make this happen. Let's, we don't have an excuse anymore, assuming Trump is gone, but even if he's not gone, no more excuses, okay? Let's stop pointing the fingers at other people exclusively and let's start realizing our responsibility. It's up to us. No one else is going to do this. It's, it's become very frustrating because I, I see people just agreeing with everything I've said up until the point of we have to do something different and then they're not interested. And that's where we have to change. If you're listening to this and you're on board all the other things where you're like, well, I don't see, you got to change that unless you can convince me otherwise. And guess what? I don't think that you can. So I, th- I think what I'm saying is not just, this isn't coming from my brain. This is just coming from the obvious objective reality. This is me just being a journalist and observing. And this is where we're at. Enough beating around the bush, enough blaming of others, enough obsession with Donald Trump, and let's get our asses in gear and halt and finally reverse the eco-crisis.